Welcome to Radio Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. First, we prove the point that we can actually create a digital security that represents direct ownership into a privately held asset and for people to give access to the opportunity to buy and sell those securities seamlessly. So that completely picked the box. In a world where there's lots of things happening in uh, non-fungible tokens and securities tokens, um, and the whole evolution of the securities industry uh, from markets and exchanges, and then the exchanges uh, and the players in the markets, the securities companies themselves, are going tokenized. Um, and I'm really happy that uh, I'm able to speak with a with an entrepreneur who is right up there in the front, um, exploring all that the technology uh, is making possible, uh, and almost by you know by his bootstraps, having put together his first asset in the U.S., um, tokenizing that and then bringing it back to Thailand where he started his um, career um, and buying into a securities company uh, and turning that into a tokenized securities company uh, and hoping to succeed um, in uh, tokenizing uh, securities assets. Um, And I'm having this conversation at a time when uh, um, non-fungible tokens are just the rage um, and here, this, in this conversation uh, with Stefan D. Bates, um, who was born in Belgium, uh, spent his early career in uh, Thailand uh, and then uh, became a property owner in the U.S. Um, and, and used that uh, as the platform uh, for uh, taking it forward into the world that we know today. So there are lots of questions to ask, uh, lots of uh, issues to uh, to 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 dig into his mind uh, with, um, in, in terms of his reaction to regulation, to you know uh, old old style securities companies um, and new style tokenization, uh, and uh, what it's likely uh, to mean in terms of uh, real business benefit. Stefan, thank you very much for joining me uh, from where you are in Col- in Aspen, Colorado. It's a uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. I've been there um, a long time ago. I, I love the, the territory. I love it in winter. Uh, and you just told me that it looks, it's really beautiful in summer as well. Well, thank you, Emmanuel. That's true. The locals are saying people come and visit in the winter and they move in forever in the summer. So you should come back and, and see the scenery in the summer. It's absolutely beautiful here. What do you do in summer in Aspen? Uh, go horse riding uh, and uh, mountain trekking and stuff? Yeah, so you do hiking, fly fishing, uh, fly fishing. Mountain, mountain biking, uh, whitewater rafting, horseback riding. Uh, you enjoy amazing food. There's plenty of cultural activities. It's, it's just heaven on earth. It's just like beautiful. It's blue sky every single day. And it's not too hot in the in the nighttime, so you get to cool off, and it's just beautiful. 
give us a sense of your career. You are Belgian and then, and then you moved to Thailand, you worked there. Uh, just give us a quick sense of uh, your career uh, and, and how it moved over time uh, to the point where you are right now so that uh, the people viewing this uh, interview, this conversation, uh, will get a sense of context and then we'll build our conversation from there. I get extremely fortunate in my career path. Uh, I, I was born and raised in, in Europe, in Belgium, but I was also always attracted into discovering the rest of the world. So I was fortunate enough to be matched by my university through an exchange program to a company in Thailand uh, right after a year or so of working in Belgium. So I moved there. Uh, one-way ticket with my suitcase, my skateboard, and my guitar. And soon enough, uh, I got into the institutional financial industry. Uh, it was the boom years of the Asian tiger economy. So every single fund manager in Europe or in North America was trying to get exposure to the Asian economies. And therefore, they needed lots of staff working with the local brokerage firm talking to those foreign clients and executing their order books. So that's what I did. It was called being an agency broker. I had clients like uh, Salomon Brothers, like George Soros, like SAC, uh, Net NetWex, uh, Daiwa Securities. And it was, it was party days because there was so much money flowing into the Asian tiger. And then uh, came 1997, the party and abruptly with the devaluation of the Asian currency, starting with the Thai baht, uh, thanks to Mr. Soros. And um, we went from being boom to being bust. And that meant you needed to reinvent yourself. So having a strong networks of both local corporation and foreign funds, it was natural for me to become a restructuring specialist. So I did that with Grant Thornton in the early 2000 and worked through the restructuring of all the non-performing loans for about five years. I then set up my own uh, hospitality investment firm, uh, investment banking firm called Optasia Capital and came 2007, 2008, we saw a very strong parallel to what happened in Asia 10 years earlier, but it was this time happening in North America. So we were lucky enough to have recapitalized our balance sheet in 2008, 2009, and we had the capital to, to come to North America and buy uh, some of the hospitality assets. So at the time we bought the uh, Synergies in Aspen, that was a trophy property that today everybody wants to buy. But in 2010, there was so much doom and gloom in North America that nobody would touch quality asset with a barge pole. So it was very opportunistic. It turned out to be a great trade. Uh, naturally, I had to spend more time in the US uh, because of the asset portfolio we were building here. Uh, so I, I decided after my divorce to relocate um, in New York in 2012. So spent about eight years in New York and start paying really close attention to the crypto space in 2014, 15, 16. And then decided to see whether or not there was a use case of applying digital asset technology to real estate after a failed single asset IPO of the Synergies uh, Aspen, we use digital asset technology 
And we were successful in tokenizing 20% of the property in 2018. Uh, last year, that was that was actually being traded on a what we call alternative trading system, a T0. And subsequently to tokenizing the property, we bought 25% of a broker dealer in listed broker dealer in Thailand, which brought me back to Thailand. And we have since then acquired all the new world digital licenses. We've recapitalized the company and we are now, I think, the only player in Asia, if not globally, that really act as a bridge between the old world and the new world. And we'll be able to uh, offer all type of financial product to the Asian community under one single roof. I call it the Amazon of uh, financial products. So the company is called Xpring Capital. Oh, wonderful, because I'm, I'm talking to you from the same radius in, in uh, Beijing. So, uh, but I'd rather be in Aspen where, you know, it's so much more beautiful, I guess. Uh, in terms of nature and outdoor. Just to get uh, a sense of uh, your choice of tokenizing, uh, you said you said you tokenized 20% of your Aspen property um, uh, on a token as opposed to issuing a REIT. Um, it, was that a choice or uh, were there weaknesses in, in, in terms of issuing a REIT? What was the, what were the, uh, you know, benefit, uh, cost benefit analysis of a REIT versus a token? So we tried to do a listed read. Uh, we actually went through the, the headache of filing an S1 and an A1 with the SEC going on a roadshow, but it failed and it failed for two reasons. Uh, in the read world in North America, you either super big or you don't succeed. So size matter and single asset read of, at the time, I think the capital raising was circa $50 million. There's no market in the public listed read for $50 million deal. And secondly, the other thing that did not materialize as expected is we had gone into the exercise believing that we could control the filing cost, but the filing cost with the SEC completely balloon up. And when you look at the total cost of going to a public uh, REIT uh, exercise in the US versus a single asset uh, capital raising is just completely disproportionate, so it doesn't work. And what has worked for you in tokenizing the Aspen REIT? Because I noticed that the valuation is a little higher um, in terms of uh, what you would have achieved on a REIT. Uh, liquidity, valuation, um, and um, you know, uh, and, and I guess scaling. So, you know, um, how's that turned out for you, um, uh, tokenizing your Aspen property? I think it turned out great for, for three reasons. Uh, first, we proved the point that we can actually create a digital security that represents direct ownership into a privately held asset. And for people, to give access to the opportunity to buy and sell those securities seamlessly. So that completely ticked the box. Secondly, what we've realized as well is that there are actually people like we have a partnership with BlockFi, which are willing to lend against your securities holding into the Aspen coin. So that is quite amazing because you receive a dividend yield from the property, but you can also pledge your security with a crypto lender that give you 
an LTV against your securities holding. So that means that not only you own shares, but you can leverage your shares. So that's great. And third, what we've also explored, and I think we are pioneering that space as well, is we are attaching what I call perks, perks benefit to the ownership. In other words, if you own a certain amount of Aspen Con and you stay on property, first of all, you're gonna receive a special VIP ownership amenity package. Secondly, you will also receive a cash back on your stay simply by being an owner. So we are touching the perks of ownership of trophy assets to the actual digital securities, which is great because people come and stay on property and they own, I don't know, 10,000 Aspen coins. It costs them like $12,000, but they're being treated as an owner when they stay with us. And that feeling brings a smile to all those people and say, I cannot believe that I'm having this dividend, capital appreciation, but also feel great. Oh, no, you're bringing back timeshare. It's not timeshare because it is liquid, it is tradable, and it is, it is true ownership. Uh, timeshare is the right to use. Here, it is actual real ownership into the property. So you're a shareholder into the property. But maybe I will bring back a new version of, of timeshare in a tokenized form, now that you bring it the subject, I think there's something to do in that space. As I was listening to you speak, I, I went right there because it seems that uh, it's, it's, uh, the token is also a marketing um, you know, weapon. Talk to us a little bit about fractionalization uh, you know, and, and how is that possible on tokens uh, and not possible on REITs? I guess it's not possible on REITs because REITs, you own a security. Um, you know, whereas on a token, you, you can actually specify what exactly you own. Is that, is that what it is? Um, and does it work? Yes and no. Actually, uh, the token is nothing but a digitized representation of a share ownership into the property. So I could take the view that a read or a tokenized read is the same thing. The only difference is today, you have two types of REIT. You either have a public REIT, and we've already established in this conversation that for single asset, there's no market for it, so we can forget about it, or it's a private REIT. The problem of a private REIT is it's illiquid, it's opaque, and it's very difficult to understand what goes in, what comes out, and it's not very liquid. So people going into private REIT and they want to exit, they may have to pay a hefty discount just to get liquidity. The beauty of having a digitized version of a read is that you have a marketplace where you can go on the bid, you can sell just like a listed security, but it's not a listed security. The, the other beauty is, I think it's a matter of time for people to figure out how you can use those income generating token to do other stuff. Uh, I'm sure you've learned a lot about the DeFi marketplace in crypto. The problem of DeFi today is you take something which is highly speculative and volatile and you create something else that is even more speculative and volatile. I think that the DeFi of tomorrow will take real life economic assets with a yield and they're gonna basically create additional product on the top of something which is tangible. 
So the problem is today, if you have a read shares in a private read, you cannot do anything with it. It sits in a custodian, it's locked in, you cannot touch it. What you can do with the digital securities, you can download it in your wallet and you can do many things. So the flexibility aspect of what will be possible to do with digital securities, it's really where innovation is. Now, I think that what we are doing right now, it's a little bit like when Steve Jobs created the App Store. He knew that the marketplace will have hundreds of applications, but he didn't know what those applications will be. I think it's the same with digital securities. We know that the technology will enable flexibility beyond what you and I can imagine today. We just don't know what they're going to be in the future. But uh, therefore, uh, all these are points for clarification. Your Aspen read is actually a private read, a uh, private token. We don't qualify as a read. Read is a definition for tax purposes, and one of the one of the qualification to be a read is you need to have less than five people holding more than fifty percent of the of the economic interest or concentration does not qualify to be a REIT because we have very large holders. So REIT is purely a tax definition in the US, but it's a simple, sim, uh, single purpose vehicle owning one asset. So it's equivalent to a REIT. Got, got it. Uh, so it's an SPV um, owning a REIT. Uh, what um, currency is it, uh, well, what crypto is it denominated in? Does it have to be denominated in any crypto? No, it's denominated in US dollar. The protocol we've used to build the smart contract is the Tezos protocol, simply because we think that Tezos is the only chain that makes sense to develop financial products on for some particular reasons, such as it's a proof of stake uh, protocol as opposed to a proof of work. It also has formal verification of the smart contract. It is self-upgradable and it's really been built by engineers that come from the financial industry. There are several um, you know, tokenized uh, assets like this in the US. Uh, but are you the only one on Tezos? I, I think that more and more, if you follow the headlines, you're going to see people using Tezos protocol, big corporation. I mean, I can give you some example. The Central Bank of France is using Tezos to do their digital euro. Uh, the casino group, which is France's largest retailer, is using the Tezos protocol. BTG, the, the, the largest Brazilian investment bank, is building everything on Tezos. The UAE is super big on this. I would say most institutional people that are serious about developing a blockchain ecosystem will look at the chain like Tezos. ERC20 Ethereum is great for a startup that wants to create something overnight. But when you understand the limitation of ERC20 and Ethereum, and you're a big institution, you would probably take another option. When you give away only 20%, uh, the, the role of the dominant shareholder becomes very important. Uh, at the same time, you're saying that the, that the token um, can be leveraged against securities, uh, against um, you know, crypto. Um, 
so what is the profile of your investors at the moment? Uh, how many of them are at all leveraged? And I would imagine leverage would make it a high-risk investment as a result. Uh, you know, it's an, it, it takes us into the high-risk uh, territory. So just give us a sense of you know, who's holding your, um, uh, your tokens at the moment. It's early days. Uh, so I think that the more people, thanks to people like you, the more people hear about it, the more they ask us questions and the greater the number of token holders become. Uh, unlike most of the cryptocurrencies that are extremely volatile, uh, Aspen Coin has been trading in range even through the pandemic. So we have a strong capital base that is very stable. And I think that that's what's going to make the adoption into security token successful. Is It's funny for Elon Musk to, to talk day in, day out about cryptocurrency and create volatile movement, but it's not sustainable. We believe that digital asset and digital securities is an asset class on its own, and it should be regulated, and it should be stable, and it should offer a viable financial instrument to everyone. I will never put my daughter's money, she's four years old, into something that could go up a thousand times, but could go down to zero simply because I think she's going to have to pay for university, buy a home, but I will totally buy a piece of a real estate asset that I know will only appreciate over time. Who are our investors? Let me answer that question. You have crypto fanatics that are looking for something more tangible. And then you have people that want to be in the crypto digital asset world, but they also want to, to buy something that they can relate to. So we see ourselves as a bridge between what I call the old world and the new world. I don't think that tomorrow you need to be 100% crypto or 100% legacy market. I think you need, to be, you need to be invested across the spectrum. Now, let's take a flight and fly all the way to Thailand, mm -hmm. uh, where, and that's how this conversation came about because I took notice of the fact that you bought into a securities company uh, to make it into a token uh, tokenized uh, securities company, right? And and all of this is happening at an amazing time. Uh, NFTs are becoming uh, incredibly uh, hot and popular. And the Thailand uh, SEC has just introduced legislation uh, to uh, allow for crypto exchanges and and uh, will be opening a crypto market soon. Um, so take us through. Um, you're buying that securities company. Semico, is that a place that you worked in before? We changed the name about three weeks ago. So it has been renamed X-Spring Capital. The ticker is XPG. But yes, it was formerly known as Semico. And as you correctly pointed out, I used to work there about 30 years ago. So exactly. life throws a curveball back at you from time to time. <laughs> Very nirvana. <laughs> so it, it, you go around in a circle. Uh, life goes in a circle. So now you found yourself back in Thailand and then you, or in, you injected $25 million of capital in there and you, you were just explaining to me that you now have other investors as well. So just uh, talk us through this investment. Yeah, it was actually $15 million. So if we talk US dollars, it was 15. That was in 2000. 19. 
Um, we bought into the company because we took the view that in order to be successful in digital and crypto, you need to add the digital and crypto dimension to an existing financial platform. What most people are doing, they create, they are usually tech, super smart tech guy that create a digital platform from scratch. But then they need to spend millions and millions acquiring and migrating people into their platform. We thought that we would do the reverse. We would actually acquire a marketplace that is already very active into the traditional finance industry and we would layer a digital dimension on top of it so that you can act as a bridge and your client will only ever have one single relationship. Because I don't know how you feel, but I don't want to have an account with Bank of America for traditional securities, then Wells Fargo for mortgage, and then Coinbase for crypto, and then T0 for digital securities is too complicated. I think there should be one entry point that manage all your financial instrument uh, relationships. So that's the bet we took. That was about two years ago. As you correctly pointed out, the company had a market cap of $60 million at the time we bought in. Uh, we announced a capital increase of $250 million and we brought in three major strategic partners that are collectively injecting about $165 million into the company. Uh, so one of these partners is uh, property developer Sansiri. So they have a huge marketplace and a huge development portfolio. And they already know that the property developer of tomorrow is going to have to be a prop tech type financial instrument conveyor. So they are extremely visionary and they say, let's, let's go into that space very early. And I think since they announced their stakes into Xpring Capital, their share price has gone up 35%. So the market is validating their position, extremely visionary company. Same thing with Veria Insurance. Uh, that is a large insurance company with millions of subscribers. They already look at insurance as a financial product. And they say, how do I go into the digital world? And lastly, we have the major shareholder of Kruntai Card, which is backing us up. And that's great because again, payment, credit card, we all know that's gonna converge with digital instruments. So uh, once the full capital increase will be completed in, in September, I think we'll be uh, at a market capitalization somewhere between half a billion to a billion US dollar. And uh, it just goes to show how much capital is looking for that financial transformation. Have you got your license for being a digital uh, securities company? There are several licenses that uh, you, need to, uh, you need to contemplate in order to be full spectrum. So the first one is called ICO portal. I don't like the term ICO, but unfortunately that's, that's the official term of the license that allows you to do primary issuance of token. So that is a 100% subsidiary of Xpring. And we just get our filing accepted by the Thailand SEC. And we will be marketing in about 45 to 60 days, the first public offering of a real estate token 
uh, real estate back token in Tanan with simultaneous listing on a private exchange. The total deal size is about $80 million. So I think globally, that is going to be a first as well. I don't think anybody has done a security token of $80 million regulated and without restriction on the public offering. So that's going to be a big first. I think it's going to do extremely well. It has been rightly designed and we already see uh, interest basically knocking at the door. The second license, because you issue those tokens, they need to be traded somewhere. So we needed to create it a digital asset exchange. If you want a digital version of the Thai stock exchange. So that is a privately owned company, which is a subsidiary of my holding group in the US. It's called ERX. And we already have a license there and we will launch ERX uh, marketplace next month. The first token to be traded will be Tezos token, the XTZ token, which is powering the entire ecosystem. And the second token trading there will be our own native token called ERX token, which is effectively a discount on trading fees, a little bit like Binance token, if you follow the industry. The third token will be the the security token of $80 million that we will be placing in, in July. So the marketplace will be activated, the primary issuance will be activated, and then we are also applying and we should receive a broker dealer license for trading crypto, as well as a digital asset management license that we will layer on the top of our existing asset management business. And then you can do everything. You can do managing fund, broker dealing, international cryptocurrencies, issuing your own and trading your own token into the marketplace. The Thai exchange uh, regulation, the SEC regulation in Thailand, is that they only allow up to securities-backed tokens, right? They don't allow crypto at the moment. So the the crypto business has to be run separately from from the exchange that you're creating. Uh, Yes and no. So you're right in a sense that the Thailand uh, Digital Asset Act and Securities Act classify four type of four type of uh, digital asset or cryptocurrencies. You first have five accepted cryptocurrencies, so they call it cryptocurrencies. Then you have what they call investment token. They are effectively security tokens, so these are digitized securities. And then you have utility token that I have subdivided in two class. Utility token that have an immediate utility. That means you can use it from the day that they are being issued. They are, they don't require filing with the SEC. And then you have utility token that will be a utility in the future. These one require filing. In terms of exchange, you are once once again right on the dot. It is a different supply sense in order to trade cryptocurrencies and investment token and utility token. Um, But you can today, if you know how to assemble your license the right way, and it takes takes months, if not years, to do it the right way, you can actually offer all kinds of product uh, to your customers. It's exciting times. what platform will you be on? Uh, you've got Liquify, you've got Block Square. Are you creating your own platform or would you be 
um, yeah. Yeah. using an existing platform. Now we build up our own tech uh, for everything which is front end. We're building a core banking system uh, in the back end. We've retained BCG to, to be our advisor there. And in terms of providing liquidity in marketplace like crypto, we are linking ourselves to the biggest exchange in the US. I can't name them, but effectively we trade with established marketplace on a transparent pricing type of, of philosophy. Uh, so it's going to be highly institutionalized, very wide growth approach. Somebody like you that doesn't know or may know a lot about crypto, just going to pick up the call and say, listen, Stefan, I want to buy 10 Bitcoins. I don't want to do my custody. Can you give me a white glove concierge service for my crypto exposure? And that's what we do. So we're going to target uh, traditional market players, institution, high net worth, but also normal people that also want the white glove approach to crypto. So we think that there's a lot of market share to be taken there. Uh, another interesting aspect of the Thai regulation that's been that's now coming to life is the KYC. So you know they they practically require you to be present uh, in order to you know start a relationship and so on. Uh, would that limit your market? Can you become regional from where you are in Thailand? Well, it's actually true. So I can see you follow the, the recent news about in-person KYC. We're actually the only player today that has their own KYC procedure vetted by the what is called the AMLO office, the anti-money laundering office of Thailand that have vetted all procedures so that if you are on board with us, you don't need to be present in, in person. I don't know about the rest of the player, but I was told that we definitely are the only one of one of the few that that uh, that match the protocol. So again, our approach is the approach of an institutions that work with the regulator and have the regulator vetting every step of the way, as opposed to being a tech guy that say, let's create a marketplace. I'm an old man, so. I've taken the conservative legacy approach of be a friend with the regulator because you're going to have to work with him eventually. Yeah, but at the same time, you need to create a market uh, for what you're doing. And that market has to be distinguished from the existing REITs marketplace, um, which is highly um, you know, structured, predictable. Uh, you know, we, we know who the players are and so on. Um, and also uh, in Thailand, in, in all likelihood, um, your exchange and your asset is going to be more publicly owned, uh, you know, as opposed to your Aspen asset, which is essentially, you know, privately owned and then with a little bit of exposure to public investors. What are you afraid of or what do you think some of the concerns are uh, for someone who's starting uh, what is effectively going to be a, uh, a public property, uh, you know, you, you would be exposed a lot more than you are in, in, in Aspen. So, so managing expectation. A lot of people believe that just because you're going to brand your property crypto digital, you're going to get a premium. And I always tell those clients, if that's the reason you come and talk to us, don't talk to us because I do not want crypto to be branded of making the impossible possible. 
That is not what technology does. What technology does, it allows you to do what you were doing in the past and to add infinite layer of flexibility on top. For instance, with a digital token on someone that would want to tokenize a, a property, let's say a hotel, you could use a utility function as a dividend. You could pay your dividend through a utility token that has its own life and allows you fungibility. You can pay dividend in kind, which you can't do as a typical REIT. And that is just one application that maybe we will develop. And I always tell people the digitalization of financial product is nothing different from going from a fax communication to an email communication. People were using fax in the old days, but no one would ever say, hey, let's go for a drink, Emmanuel, through a fax communication. We do that every day on email. So what email has done, it allows more form of communication to take place. What the digitization of financial product will do is, again, more application on the basis that hasn't changed, which is ownership of a property. So managing expectation is what concerns me the most. But hey, at the end of the day, we live in a world that has been disturbed through the unfortunate pandemic, COVID-19. And the response of global government has been printing infinite amount of money. Yeah. I remember my first economic equation, MV equal PQ, I predict we're going to see hyperinflation all over the world. And guess what? Real estate is one of the best way to protect yourself against inflation. So the fact that suddenly you allow people to get exposure to real estate in a liquid form without having to worry about buying it or selling it, I think is going to be a highly successful asset class. So what, what assets are you putting into your Thai um, you know, token. Um, how many assets? What What is the valuation? Um, you know, is there access to your Aspen asset? Uh, you You were quoted somewhere saying that you you expect it to uh, to be about a billion dollars in size eventually. But you know, what what are we expecting to see? Yeah, I think that was the the portfolio we intended to tokenize at first. I think that number has grown a lot since then, simply because oh, wow. okay. us and say. Stefan, I love this. Oh, can you please create a, a token for me? So I think that the pipeline is now a multiple of that original estimate. The first deal we're doing in Thailand is an office back single tenant uh, tokenization. And there will be two class of token. The first token will be a highly protected, like AAA tranche type of uh, four and a half ish percent return but highly protected and the second one will be more of a mezzanine piece with a higher upside and higher yield and again when is the last time as a individual investor that you had access to a liquid form of investing into a mezzanine piece of a real estate asset yeah if you're a private equity guy and you have a few billion under your pocket you see that kind of deals but as a single investor you don't see them. So again, I call it equal access to financial product. And I think that's what that's what we- but What do you mean by equal access? Uh, equal access to the proceeds, uh, equal access to the, um, 
you know, uh, to the income, yes, made out average, right? But but proceeds uh, or, or specific investments, sp- specific projects? Is equal access to the whole process. So whether you're somebody that wants to invest $1,000 or $10 million, your access to the product is the same, your access to the cash flow is the same, and your access to the exit is the same. So it puts everyone on an equal playing field because you and I know that the finance industry has been very incestuous in giving more flexibility to the big guys than the small guys. I think what we create here is a harmonization of the marketplace and treating everyone equally. Are you allowed by law to dictate the uh, payouts, uh, the currency, the token, um, or is it just cash? You said just now that, um, you know, the dividends, for example, uh, you can pay it out in pesos, uh, you, you know, Bitcoin. Is that an advantage to you uh, as a business or uh, to, the, to the investor? Well, I mean, you are allowed by law to do anything that you disclose in your prospectus. So the beauty about those security tokens, they are regulated. So as an investor, you download the prospectors and you know what the manager can and can't do. And not only that, the SEC is actually vetting the prospectors saying, we review this and it's good to go. So we like innovation. So when we did the Aspen coin in the US, we actually created the flexibility to pay dividend either on fiat or cryptocurrency at the election of the investor. So some of our investors wants to be paid their dividend in Bitcoin. Others, they want traditional cash. And we've, I think we are, again, the first tokenization company that has successfully paid dividend in Bitcoins. You know, the risk of this business is at this point in time uh, so high because of the sheer volatility of, uh, of crypto. And uh, even as crypto gets larger, uh, you know, it, it sort of fluctuates on perception, on nuances, um, you know, this, a small change in perception uh, can have huge fluctuations. So the, the the liquidity works for you, and it also is your you know one largest enemy in a, in, in a sense. What sort of checks and balances would you need to have um, in order to um, you know protect against um, fluctuations? Again, I think it depends what do we call crypto and where does the volatility come? Crypto has three big pockets today. One is cryptocurrencies that are an alternative form of storage. That would be Bitcoin. That means all what you have is a trust system into what is the expectation of Bitcoin, right? So people call it the digital gold. There is nothing but trust to support valuation. So it's only as worse, as good as what the next person is willing to pay for it. Then you have a second type of crypto pocket, which is the smart contract platform. These are to me very similar to infrastructure play, like expressway, like telecom networks. They've created a infrastructure network of nodes giving you the ability to administrate smart contract into the cloud. And these are people like Ethereum, Cardano, EOS, Tezos. I look at them like infrastructure play. So their valuation is a straight function of usage 
of the network and you can track that. And then you have two sub pocket, which are security token. Security token are token which are backed up by real tangible assets, just like a security. These one by definition will be a lot less volatile because they are backed up by something that has a value that you can estimate. If it's a property, you can have an appraisal. If it's a cash flow stream, you can do a net present value of your cash flow stream. So these one will be very stable type of coins. These will appeal to institutions. But just the whole idea of what's different uh, from a traditional read uh, to a security spec uh, token, tokenized uh, read. Um, and and uh, now that you are going to be putting assets onto it, will you be issuing tokens against third-party assets? We do that. We do token <laughs> third-party assets. We'll do mix of tokens. We have a strings of offering, but as long as someone understands, again, that the token gives you the same advantage of a read and a lot more in terms of future flexibility, I make a prediction that within five years, nobody will issue paper securities anymore. Everything will be digital. How do you see the secondary market for what you're creating in Thailand going to evolve? Okay, so I think our sec secondary market will be highly liquid and successful because the offering itself is unrestricted. So when you can do a public offering, you can actually have a wide distribution of your tokens and wide distribution of the token make the stepping stone for liquid secondary market. The problem in the US on security token is that everybody's using the private placement reg D window that limit who you can sell those tokens. You need to be accredited, but also they need to be locked up for a year, which means only long-term investors are buying those tokens. And because the long-term investor, they don't want to sell it. So the secondary market is not liquid in the US, but I think it will be liquid in uh, Thailand simply because it's an unrestricted public offering of the token. So I, I have great expectation that we're going to see some form of decent liquidity in the secondary market. If the same regulation of, uh, you know, was already applicable in the US, would you have set up the securities business in the US instead of in Thailand? It's funny you ask. We are currently in the process of acquiring all the licenses in the US because we think the regulator in the US is going to soon enough create real licenses for exchange Similarly to what happened in Singapore and Thailand and Hong Kong, I think you're going to see a lot of very positive forward-looking regulatory announcement in the U.S. in the very short term. And we want to be a player in the U.S. Absolutely. Final question. You know, uh, I kept mentioning uh, non-fungible tokens, right? Why are you issuing a fungible version of a, of a token for something as specific as a read uh, when you could have made it non-fungible? Uh, or am I wrong? Is, is the token you know, non-fungible? Uh, and I noticed there's a lot of activity uh, in the virtual space. Uh, in fact, in Singapore, uh, there was this guy who bought over the Beeple painting and uh, uh, Meta Coven is his name. And, and he's setting up something called Metaverse, which is, uh, which is a virtual reality 
uh, you know, uh, setting uh, where you actually can buy real estate and, and some of that real estate can, can reflect actual real estate, um, you know, and, and, and you can subdivide it, you can be a owner and stuff like that. Uh, are you dreaming so far? I think we're looking at the space. Uh, I think that there is great and smart people really innovating into that space. I think that that space is booming right now, but we'll have to go through a regulatory overview. If you follow the, the news, there's a lawsuit that took place in the US last week against Dapper Labs. Dapper Labs was selling Top Shots, NBA, NFTs, and people are questioning whether an NFT is a security or not. And it goes back to the same question, where is the line? And I think that the reg we cannot guess where the line is because it's a function of interpretation. I think the regulator is gonna have to drive the forward uh, regulatory uh, framework for NFTs, for DeFi, simply because innovation is pushing the boundaries of what we can rule based on existing regulation today. So. People like the one you mentioned that are crazy innovators, we love them because the more we have those crazy people thinking about the world of tomorrow looks like, the more we're going to progress as a society. So very interesting space. Stefan, you are in, in frontier territory. So everything you say uh, is a promise to be delivered. Um, and uh, it's a space that is being watched very carefully. Uh, those who are in traditional securities, traditional REITs businesses would be watching you very carefully. Um, uh, and uh, there are pitfalls. Uh, we, we need to figure out, um, you know, where they might be. Uh, and of course, uh, you have the promise of a token. So I want to thank you for explaining to us, uh, to me, uh, you know, what you're doing. Uh, and this conversation uh, adds to my own understanding of what's building and that final push away from traditional finance into DeFi, um, you know, and you know, the tokens themselves, like the utility tokens that you mentioned, uh, they are not only assets, they, they are applications, um, you know, that, that the user can use to do everyday work. And that's where the DeFi takes place. That's where the, the breakdown of the intermediary business um, you know, comes into play. So we're in frontier territory, um, uh, very excited for you. And uh, I hope that we'll be able to do another conversation uh, once you've got everything up and running and the Thai exchange is up, I think in July this year, right? Maybe we could, uh, we could actually uh, increase the go-to-market timing. So I think that ERX, which is the exchange, should be live sometimes in the latter part of June. Yes. Excellent. Thank you very much. And have a good rest of the day. Uh, mine is the end of the day here in Beijing. Thank you for having me, Emmanuel. Have a good night. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.